Hi, everybody. It was a few years ago I graduated, I have to confess. <laughs> um, okay, so I've brought something to show you all this evening. It is what some of you may call a vintage item. I imagine a few of you may, in fact, never have seen this item before in your lives. So um, prepare yourselves. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the camera. Okay. So um, I gave this to my little boy. He's four. He's called Charlie um, for the Easter holidays. And he had great fun using this. How many of you actually remember these? Okay, a few. Mostly. Okay. So um, cast your minds back to a time not so long ago in a land quite like this where um, you couldn't actually look at your photo straight away, okay? You should Google that. You couldn't actually do that. You couldn't see it straight away when you'd taken it because you took it on this. And to use this camera, you needed something called a film roll, okay? And so you had to change your film roll in and out of your camera with no light, like getting on it in case it damaged the photos. Who remembers that? You're like, no. Turn off the light. <laughs> and you did it like under cover of darkness on the beach under a towel and uh, things like that. And, and you only got 12 photos on a camera, 24 if you'd really splashed out at Kodak. So every photo mattered. There was none of this, oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got about 18 pictures here. One of them will make it to Instagram. It was kind of like every photo <laughs> You're enjoying this joke. Every photo <laughs> mattered. Every photo mattered. And then when you had finished with your camera, you got into your actual car and you drove your car to a bricks and mortar location where you handed your camera or your film roll over to a person who worked for Kodak and they developed your pictures for you. You had to go home and wait I'm just waiting for my photos so I can look at them. I'm just waiting. Three days whilst they went through the dark room for development. Whilst they went through the dark and they became pictures. And um, you guys will laugh because most of you are millennials and you're with me on this one. Um, but here's what I want to say. Here's where we're going to go this evening as we um, look at God's word together tonight. I think that life is much more like a camera and much less like a smartphone because some things and often the best things only grow in the dark they only happen in the dark room they happen in the valley in the darkness and the dark don't know about you but isn't a place that I love to be I mean who likes the dark no hands. <laughs> Nobody likes the dark. Who wants to walk in a valley? Nobody wants to choose to walk in a valley. You want to be up the mountain, chasing the light, the 360-degree panorama view. That's where we want to be, isn't it? That's where we want to live. But darkness, darkness happens. And it happens to good people and God's people. And it seems to me that darkness happens in two ways. Stay with me here for Hannah's cultural observations on darkness. Darkness can, number one, smack you in the face. Tragic, awful, 
unexpected events or circumstances have occurred that have placed you suddenly into darkness. And they should never and never, never have happened to you, but they have. And now you have to make sense of how to get back into the light again. Darkness can smack you in the face. And then second kind of darkness. Darkness can creep up on you, I think, like a wet fog, like a mist. We suddenly realize, oh, I'm surrounded. And again, this can be due to circumstances or events beyond our control. Things happen to us. But um, I do think there is something here particularly culturally. And Carl talked about this equation um, a couple of weeks ago. I see a lot of my peers grappling with this. We've been taught that effort plus skill, it's going to come up here, equals, there we go, success. Haven't we? That's what we learn. If you work hard, you'll get what you sow. And it's just not really paying off, I think, for a lot of us. We put in the effort, we grow the skill, but we're not getting what we think we should be getting. And, and who knows that disappointment is one of the most draining emotions to carry around. That wave after wave after wave of disappointment just saps us of life. Darkness can creep up on us like a wet fog. And the danger here with this second kind of darkness is it can be easier to pretend it doesn't exist than to stare it in the face. So dark, what dark? Valley, what valley, what valley? And so we lurch from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop and we Instagram our perfections and um, we know something is off because we're quite smart people. But when that darkness rises up in us and, and presents itself and we suddenly, oh gosh, there's a bit of a wet fog around me here, we, we just push it back down. And before we realize it, we've bought into a theology of the permanent smile. This one, the, I'm fine, really, I'm fine, I'm totally fine. And we've all been there, haven't we? You've all maybe said that at points when you didn't actually quite mean this. I'm fine. And so today, this evening, I'm sorry, but I'm calling it darkness happens to good people and God's people. And I don't know where you are tonight, whether you are, you're up a mountain and you are basking in the sunlight, or you are in a valley, maybe even sobbing in the pitch dark. But I do know, and and I hope that you know this tonight, that God is with you. And I hope we go away tonight knowing a bit more about what kind of God, what kind of shepherd is with us in the valley. And what I also do really know is that we have to be prepared to talk about darkness. God's not embarrassed by it. He knows it. He's been there. And the mistake that we make 
in Western Christianity so often is to think that following God has to mean that everything is great all the time. And we always have to be on top form because God is on top form. So I am on top form. And too often I think we miss the richness of God's blessing because we won't come off the mountaintop and descend into the valley, which is where God does some really really special things, which is where we grow like a living faith, a faith that will see us through the reality of life, a faith that enables us to stand with confidence in a broken and hurting world. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read together from from God's book. So Father, we thank you that you've got things to say about the bad stuff. And uh, Father, I want to pray that in any way that we might identify with that word darkness, with valley, that you would come and you would speak to us tonight, that you would show us who you are, whether we're praying that for the first time or the hundredth time over. Show us who you are. And help us walk with you, because you walk with us. Amen. So, um, I don't know all of you here this evening. I don't know if you've been around church before, but if not, then let me bring you up to speed. The last few weeks we've been sitting down in this beautiful, beautiful piece of poetry together. It's in God's book. It's in the Bible. It's called a psalm. Everyone say psalm. Psalm. Sounds quite like proper English, doesn't it? Psalm. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) so great. Such encouragement. Um, It's in the Bible. This psalm is in the Bible. It's in God's book. And it was written by this guy called David. And I don't actually know anybody better to talk about darkness and valleys with than David. So David, he wrote this beautiful piece of poetry. He's the king. But before he was the king, if you backtrack a few years, he was actually a shepherd. He looked after his family's flock of sheep. He would spend a lot of time up on the hillside looking after the sheep. And he writes in this psalm about who he has known God to be as his shepherd how God cared for him, how he protected him, how he led him. So let's read this together, Psalm 23. I'll read it out for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's beautiful, 
isn't it? I, uh, I would like you to have confidence in me this evening that I have read about this psalm, I've researched it, and I actually know a few things about sheep. For those of you who don't know me, I actually grew up in Cumbria, in a proper hill country, where it was reek grand to have sheep up that yonder hill. And uh, my brother is actually a farmer. I've got a picture of him, so you can see that is my brother and my two little ones sat on his quad bike up uh, the Kentmere Valley in the Lake District. Uh, so I know a, a few things um, about sheep. Uh, basically, I know more about sheep than Reverend Carl Martin, okay? So I want to issue a correction because two weeks ago, the Reverend Carl Martin told you all that sheep have paws. <laughs> and <laughs> sheep do not have paws, they have hooves, okay? Just so we're all clear. Um, but if you've not been around this series, then let me update you. Uh, the picture that David so beautifully presents in this psalm is not of this kind of farmer. Like, come on, sheep, let's get up that hill with my quad bike and my uh, two sheepdogs. Uh, the picture that David paints is of a Middle Eastern shepherd. It was um, less of a like quad bike and sheepdog affair and more like a Pied Piper enactment. So the shepherd would be like, come on, sheepies, follow me. And follow him, they would. They'd, they'd follow the sound of his voice. The shepherd went first, not last. He led the sheep. And uh, the sheep in this psalm... King David, but it could be you, could be me, has just entered verse four, the darkest valley. We should have like some kind of drum roll for that, shouldn't we? The darkest valley. Some um, translations um, call it the valley of the shadow of death. I think that's called artistic license. But, um, uh, basically, darkness. The Hebrew word for it is salmawet. Salmawet. And it basically means absolute, total darkness. Not just the kind of darkness you get when you switch off your light when it's like bedtime and it's kind of dark in your room. This is like total, absolute, awful darkness. A place where it would be entirely rational and totally legitimate and everybody would completely understand if you were maybe a little bit afraid, that kind of darkness. And David says this, a staggering statement. Even though I walk the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The message puts it like this, I'm not afraid when you walk by my side. It's a big statement. Big statement. And I I don't know where you stand with God. I assume a lot of you are quite keen. Uh, And some of you are still working that out, and that's all right. This psalm is not an apologetic for the existence of God in the face of evil. There are other places that we can go for that, and we should. This psalm is a picture of what kind of shepherd we find when we're in Salmawet, total, awful darkness, the valley, the dark room. So that's what I'd like to explore, if 
if that's all right. What kind of shepherd do we find there? And you can listen for yourself. You can listen for your friends. You can listen for the situations you might face in the future or the situations you've faced in the past. I think we find a shepherd warrior. Come with me to the end of verse 4. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the rod um, was like, the best illustration I could think of was, you know that like that big club that that guy in the Flintstones used to carry around? You know, they're like huge one. I think I lost a few of you there. Okay, I'll pick my cultural references better next time. Um, It's like a large, thick stick, like a big one. And it was occasionally tipped with iron or like nails put in the end of it. Basically, like, be afraid if I'm holding a rod. It was an offensive and protective weapon for a shepherd. He would like attack wild animals. If you were coming after his sheep, then you better watch out because he had a rod and he was not afraid to use it. And it got me thinking about how Jesus, because that's who our shepherd is, Jesus, the shepherd warrior, do you know that he defends you? That even now he is warring on your behalf and you don't even know the half of it. That he is out there defending you from attacks that you don't even know about. That in his grace, he has done good things for you. That with his staff, this this long stick with a kind of curve on the end, that he has hoiked you out of situations that, thank you for that, um, you didn't even know you were in yet. But he has hoiked you out. He has done things for you about the enemies that you face. And verse 4, I found a little, the end of verse 4, a little confusing. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but I don't feel entirely comforted by the presence of a large nail-tipped stick. I'm like, well, that's kind of fierce. But it's, it's kind of translated, they comfort me, they lead me. His, his, his fierceness and his strength is also tender because it reassures us we are safe. You are safe. With this kind of shepherd. He's strong. He's able. And he is warring on your behalf. That's the kind of shepherd that we have. And then verse 5. The image changes from a shepherd and sheep. To a different kind of picture. It changes to that of a host and guests. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So let me just picture this for you. It's possible that David was imagining being pursued through the valley by a band of hostile, angry men. That's entirely plausible because that is how David spent a large part of his life. He wasn't exactly the most popular guy before he became king. And then even when he did become king, he had a few issues he had to work through. And basically, this traveler has been pursued by this tribe and has found um, protection and peace in the tent of his host. He's come upon somebody who has invited him in. And Middle Eastern tradition dictated that you do not interrupt hospitality for anything, not even murder. So David was kind of safe. 
That's the, that's the kind of picture that he's painting here. David is saying, my shepherd, this God shepherd, invites me in to eat, even in the middle of my salmawet, my valley, my darkness. And then um, this is where it gets kind of interesting. You see, in, in, in David's time, dinner parties, maybe, who's thrown a dinner party this year so far? Yeah, a few of you. So dinner parties weren't quite like how they are for us today. You know, you might like lay the table, large, long table, possibly from Habitat, if you're really lucky with a few, you know, bone china and it looks very lovely and, you know, a few mixed match chairs so it's still slightly retro and you don't look like you've made too much effort. And uh, it's all lovely, table is set. But in David's culture, you had to lie down to eat often. The table was like a rug, like this. And then I'm actually going to demonstrate this for you. So if you can't see me, feel free to stand up. Um, slightly embarrassing, but just so you'll get the picture. You had to kind of prop yourself up on your elbow like this to eat. Okay. I'm feeling really totally chilled about this. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I was being pursued by a band of hostile, angry men, I would not be this chilled. Um, I would not kind of lie there and eat. Be like, oh, hey, yeah, totally fine. I'm totally chilled. I'm going to eat some fries. And basically what's happening here is a repeat of verse 2. Come back to verse 2 with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. When you lie down, when you lie down like that, not only do you look ridiculous, but you're also quite vulnerable, aren't you? It would be very easy for someone to come along and give you a good kick or stab you in the back. But God says he lays a table for us in the presence of our enemies. God lays a table for us and invites us to eat whilst evil is watching. Right in the middle of our darkness and in our valley, God says, can I care for you? Will you let me? And guys, I think there comes a point in our darkness, this has been my experience, where you have to choose to let God care for you. You have to choose it. I don't know that there's any other way around that. You have to actually choose it, to let go. Say, God, okay, I've got nothing here. I'm in total darkness. Only you, only you, only you. I will lie down and then I can eat. And then um, I wanted to tell you, um, just so you know that I'm being real about this, about a time in my life when I had to do this, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. I was a student, as Tamsin said here, and uh, in my third year, I had a really, really bad year. I was very, very low. I had to take time off university, and there were a few reasons for this. I was actually ill. I was unwell. Um, and anxiety and fear was my minute-by-minute, second-by-second experience. When nighttime came and I could finally sleep, I was relieved because then I wasn't plagued by my own thoughts. And if any of you have been there, you know exactly what I mean. It's awful, awful 
darkness. And one day, I was lying on the floor of my student flat in my room just by myself, and I had cried for a few hours. I was beyond myself. And it was like this truth came into my room. And I believe it was a truth from God, actually. Um, This truth came into my room that even though I thought I had fallen into total darkness, that I was in the deepest pit I had ever found myself, that I could not fall past God because underneath were the everlasting arms of my father who loved me. And if you know me, you know that I love talking about God's kindness. That's something that I will talk about till the cows come home or the sheep get in the field. (laughs) And that's where it all started for me. God's kindness in that moment. That I had nothing, nothing to bring him that was of any worth, nothing to give to anybody else. Total darkness, that was my word, And yet still, his kindness, that he cared for me, that in the presence of my enemies, he laid a table and he invited me to sit and eat with him, that underneath were the everlasting arms. And my prayer for you tonight, if that is where you find yourself, because it will be for some of you, for some of you, you're not there, that's okay, but if that's where you are, My prayer is that you know, too, the everlasting arms, that you can fall into darkness, but you cannot fall past God, that God is in deeper darkness than you know, that he's there, that you would know him laying you a table and inviting you to eat with him. And if you would sit down to eat, really quickly. He would rejoice over you when you cannot rejoice. You anoint my head with oil, says verse 5. Oil is this picture in the Bible of rejoicing, of celebration, of, of God's favor, of his goodness, of his love. God would lavish his love on you. Perhaps the better picture for us is like Nutella. God would totally lavish you like you spread Nutella so thick on toast that there's barely any toast. My dad would always say to me, do you want some toast with that? I'd be like, that's the most irritating joke I've heard all day, dad. Thank you. Um, God would lavish his love on you, anoint your head with oil, and then he would bless you when you cannot see blessing. Verse 5, my cup overflows. It's this abundant picture of God's generosity, abundance. He's got more than enough, more than you even think you could hold on to. He's got that and more for you if you would let him shepherd you. So he's a warrior, shepherd. He will fight for you. He is a host, shepherd. He will care for you. And then he is a shepherd savior. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked and talked his way around Israel and the Middle East, he said that he was the good shepherd 
I am the good shepherd, he said about himself. And he said, I'm so into this shepherding thing for you that I would lay down my life for you. I wouldn't just defend you. I wouldn't just care for you and teach you and demonstrate the kingdom to you. But I would lay down my life for you. Guys, God is so committed to this shepherding thing for you that he, he so desired to shepherd us and he was so fed up of seeing other people mess up this shepherding thing for us, for his people, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to walk through Salmawet, total, absolute, awful darkness. So that in our darkness, we might know him alongside. That's the shepherd savior. The shepherd is is not only the one who fights for us, who lays us a table, but he's the one who suffers with us and for us. Jesus is the one who sat in the dark room of the grave. For three days. My favorite theologian says this about Jesus, Tom Wright. He says, he doesn't allow the problem of evil to be the subject of a seminar. He allows evil to do its worst to him. He's talking about the cross. He exhausts it, drains its power, and emerges with new life. Guys, it's precisely because he's gone ahead of you into the deepest, darkest valley of the cross and the grave, the dark, that we find a companion for our journey, a shepherd savior who in every way understands our every weakness, our every fear, our every pain, your every doubt, your every confusion, your every rage, your every bitterness, your every grief, your every loss. And he's not only entered into our pain, but he's redeemed it. He's made a way possible for us to walk through the valley, not to set up home in the valley, but to walk through the valley and up and onto the mountaintop again. That's what Jesus has done. He's redeemed it. I uh, read this really good book recently that I wanted to shamelessly plug to you all tonight, basically because it's one of the best books I've ever read. I think the guys have got a slide, uh, just so you can all see the picture. It's a book called Luminous Dark by a guy called Alan Emerson. Who's heard about this book? Give me a little show of a few of you. Okay, so this guy, Alan, he leads 24-7 prayer in Ireland. Amazing guy. Um, and it's, it's basically the story of his own personal grief and grappling with God around the subject of suffering and evil. Alan, uh, 10 years ago, really tragically lost his young bride to cancer at the age of 23. They'd been married two years. And it's his story of that grief and what God showed him and taught him in his grief. It's the most, honestly, the most powerful, the most real, the most gutsy book I've ever read on suffering ever, full stop. 
So you should all definitely buy a copy. You can get them in the foyer after the gathering. Plug over. But I um, was especially really um, affected by um, how Alan talked about uh, experiencing the shepherd's saviour with him in his grief. And I wanted to read you just a little um, excerpt from it as we come to a close here. Um, So he's talking about knowing God present with him in his suffering. He's talking about the days just after his wife Lindsay has died. More tangibly, this truth, God was present, was incarnated through my dad during those unbearable nights when I was back in my parents' house. The nights when a wave of grief would come that ached so deep and searing that it could express itself only in loud groans. On these nights, my dad would come into my room and just sit there on the edge of my bed. He would sit quietly in the dark, but I could hear him weep with me. He never said anything in those moments except once, and I can still remember his tender voice. Alan, if I could take this for you, son, I would take it all now. If the Lord would let me, I would take it for you. Through these darkest of days, I became aware through the gentle presence of God and the example of my dad of this glorious and fuller truth, the incarnation culminating in Jesus' death and resurrection means God suffers not just for me, but with me. He is deeply entwined in my present pain and the brokenness of the world he loves. Guys, Jesus didn't come and go to a cross and sit in the dark room of a grave and get raised to life again so that we can just go to heaven when we die. That is true, but there's so much more to it than that. That also means that in our darkness now, Jesus can be so with you, so with you, your companion in the valley. He will never leave you. He will, he will never leave you. He walks with you. A shepherd who fights for us, a shepherd who cares for us, and a shepherd who suffers with us, for us, never leaves us. So I don't know how that lands with you. Maybe that was um, a bit heavy for a Sunday night and you weren't quite expecting that. (laughs) Um, But I think for some of us that is quite real. And I don't want to gloss over that or dishonor the journey that you're on in working this out, you and God. And um, so I'd love to pray for us. Um, And in a minute with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll be watching. I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. If you know that right now you're walking a valley, and, and we all walk valleys at some point, there's no shame in that. If you're walking a valley in whatever way, I would love you to stand up, not to embarrass you, 
But I'd love you to stand up if you want to say, yes, Jesus, would you shepherd me? And you might be praying that for the first time. You might be praying that over and over again. This might be the 500th millionth time you've prayed that. It's always a good prayer. Jesus, would you shepherd me? And for some of you, that might be about allowing Jesus to fight for you. For some of you, that might be about saying, yes, I'm going to lie down. I'm going to eat. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to stop trying to fix this by myself. I'm going to let you care for me. And for some of you, that might just be a question of leadership. I'm going to let go and let you lead me. I want to know you with me. Is that cool? Does that make sense? So why don't we just have a minute of quiet. You can sit with the thoughts in your own head. Talk to the Father. And then in a minute, I'm just going to ask you, if you want to say, Jesus, would you shepherd me to stand? So just in the quiet, if you'd like to say to Jesus, would you shepherd me? I'd love to invite you to stand with me. I'm saying this too. (laughs) Or if you know that you're particularly in a valley and you want Jesus to shepherd you, then would you stand? And I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Bless you guys. Bless you, bless you. Thank you. Oh, Father, you're so good and you're so kind. And I want to pray for my friends just now, the ones I know and the ones I don't yet. I want to pray, God, your kindness for them. That in this moment of being brave, that you would meet with them in the most profound way. That you'd remind them that underneath are the everlasting arms. That in uh, this valley, this salmouette, whatever that looks like for each one of them, that you never, ever, ever, ever leave them. You've never left them. You've never forsaken them and that you love them. We want to pray, God, that your love would pour down on these people right now. 
that they would know a tangible sense of your love, your heart for them, cheering them on, rejoicing over them when they cannot rejoice, blessing them when they cannot see blessing yet. Oh, Jesus, would you come, would you shepherd them as they have asked you to shepherd them? Would you shepherd them? I just have a sense of God stripping off disappointment as I spoke about that earlier. I just want to speak that out. God is now stripping off disappointment. He's taking it away. It's been carried for too long. He can do in an instant things that we would expect to take a lifetime. So guys, I'd love to read just over you as a declaration this psalm. Then we're going to worship. The Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He refreshes your soul. He guides you along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though you walk the darkest valley, you will fear no evil, for he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Surely his goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.